So forming a focus. Well aware focusing is often a part of what we what meditation is about, the ability to sustain a focus, but uh, in my opinion sometimes the the focus is established too too quickly or too too automatically. So we, we establish a prescribed focus upon a particular point in the body or a particular feature. And the feature seems to be the main thing. We don't recognize the fact that very active focusing has an effect. Mm. Focusing is uh, something that jitta, the heart, the awareness, this fluent um, aspect of mind, this subjective aspect of mind, something it, it, it does or it inclines towards. So, very fundamental property of jitta is to incline, to wish, to aspire, to want, to to find, to seek, yeah? uh, and to seek to avoid, of course. And so, with those kind of preliminary messages in mind, it seeks to focus on something. And this is quite obvious, you know. And this is the, the quality called manasikara. Uh, and with that, the manas, the mana, all comes into action. So, as the chitta, you know, wishes to find some object to focus on, it's, these inclinations shift to this mano faculty, which then describes an object. Doesn't necessarily verbally describe it, although that comes with it, but it literally describes, it circumscribes it forms a boundary around a particular thing, such as a breath or a sensation or something of this nature. Now when it's doing all the energy of citta, you know, or is coming into that focal point, because that's where the focal point arose from. The focusing act arose from citta, so it carries with it its wishes and intentions and so forth, its energies. Yeah, whether it's vague, fluttering, or skillful, or or unskillful, all those energies come with it. Those mental energies come with it, and they give the focus a certain, not just the uh, purely objective quality, but a certain subjective quality. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, so focus. This focus is then a conditioned factor. Obviously enough, and when something's conditioned, then it carries with it. We have to know what conditions it carries with it. Are they? Um, I'd imagine they are basically well-intentioned. You know, we, but they, there can be many different subtle intentions and not subtle intentions. Often the intention comes with it is getting it right, and the fear of getting it wrong, and they get it right quickly promptly, because this is the kind of focus that is mm, predominantly used in our um, active life, particularly working life. You focus promptly, quickly, to get it right as quickly as possible. And so those, those come along with it, that those intentions get embedded, I suggest, in the act of focusing. Hmm? 
maybe this isn't the case for you, but I think this is the case for, this can be the case at some time or another, or perhaps even all the time. Because my experience tells me that uh, listening to people um, give feedback on their meditation, particularly when they try to use a, a form like mindfulness of breathing, is that as soon as they focus on it, they start to get uh, really unhappy. Unhappy is maybe the wrong word, but obsessive, stuck, uh, stru- struggling, uh, tense. And this tension then feeds into their body and they start to seize up. Just at that energetic level, whatever's in the mind comes into the body. Whatever's in the body comes into the mind. The energy, the fine material uh, layer or realm is the bridge between body and mind. So our attitudes then come into our body and have physiological effects. You can feel yourself getting dizzy, disoriented, uh, tense, uh, and so forth. All seemingly doing the right thing, you know, because that's one's predominant intention is to do the right thing, to sustain mindfulness. But sometimes we can do the right thing in a way that's not completely right yet. It's too right. (laughs) It's a right that fears getting it wrong. It's not samma, which is a complete, thorough, full, rich quality to it. It's not completed yet. So this uh, interest, our wish to find a focus is why. Perhaps to just get calm, to settle down, or to you know, run through a program of meditation to get sharper, to get clearer, to look insightfully into the roots of conditions, all very good ideas. And to translate this into pragmatic realities. You're dealing with a body here. Um, the body isn't an ideal. And you're not starting from a blank page. You're starting with a programmed series of conditioning factors, a programmed series of intentions, a programmed series of energies. Strongly programmed, strongly conditioned. Yeah. Isn't this right? So, then one's subliminal or dominant latent or dominant mental concomitants, mental factors start to play out in the act of attention and become intensified and start to have physiological effects. So uh, this can be quite damaging. You're dealing with a real karmic thing here. You know, we're starting from a blank page. We're starting with karmic, loaded karmic intentionalities. I mean, these are words that are not perhaps mysterious, but, you know, how do you go about living your life? How do you go about doing things? Mm. So certain 
attitudes, I suggest, get built in. Um, uh, performance drive, um, which is generally to do the best, really maximum, and as quickly as possible. And behind that, however fast or quick we go, lingers the shadow of, of inadequacy or failure, not getting it right. And this may be not even verbal anymore. It gets built in. It's no longer, it may start off as being verbally conditioned, it becomes emotionally established. Till that becomes one's norm, check it out. It may not be apparent, but the results are apparent. Meditation becomes a task. It's not happy, it's not calm, it's not joyful. It gets very uneven. Sometimes you get extremely dull, sagging, and other times just really tight and tense because the energy body is not properly massaged, worked, soothed, mollified, brought into full health. And you can have physiological effects in your body. <clears throat> Coming into focus then, because the, the dumber explanation is that once you've formed that focus, you've come into the manal, which holds, which is that the mind now forming a discrete, specific focal point. Hmm? This is called manal kamma, mental karma. So when the jitta is kind of intending and wishing, it's kind of moving around and it crystallizes around a particular intention. This is this crystallization becomes in specific, determined. We've switched on. That's what I want to do. This is called mental karma. Means we've now switched on the karmic system, and whatever is in that, you get the results. Right? For good, for not so good, and for bad, and presumably there will be a mix of that in a a mind that's not utterly purified. There'll be a mix. Some good, some not so good, some perhaps really quite diseased. So, you know, really taking one's time with informing focus and soft focus, testing it out before you firm up too much. Before you, because the firmer and, clo- and tighter it gets, the more intense you know, the karmic thing is, you know, it's like from a, from a soft ambient light, you come into a laser beam. And so that intensifies the potencies in that mental act. And of course, in any mental act, like any karma, it not just creates a result in terms of future, it creates a result in terms of a person immediately. So where there is an act, there's an actor. That, that starts to crystallize. You know, you may feel, you may start feeling not so specifically anything, and within a few seconds, here I am. Or maybe not even a few seconds, maybe half a second, here I am, doing my meditation. That seems so normal. 
yeah, that one doesn't really acknowledge who's this, who's, who's the meditator, what's she doing? Would you want to live with this person? <laughs> How is she? How full is that? How flexible is that? How malleable is that? How, how comfortable is that? So any action, karma, creates, lays down particular tendencies for good or for bad or for mixed that play out, but also immediately it creates this impression of the actor, the one who is doing the act. And they may be quite good at it as well. And by and large, we're quite good at that. You know, if you've been reasonably successful in what you're doing, you're a reasonably good actor. Mm. Yeah. But real acts don't need an actor. They happen by themselves. Real actions need no actor. And so within the actor kind of manifest certain these personal, uh, subjective, personal traits that become magnified by the focal power that's being harnessed. It's per- personal traits. So, you know, if one's actions in meditation are of the normal way in which we focus on things, things we wish for, things we intend towards, things we take seriously and so forth, then they will carry the normal thumbprints of our normal set of personal traits. Isn't that kind of clear in a way? And isn't that what we're going to get out of? So one could get quite obsessive and then uh, feeling inadequate because one isn't being obsessive enough. And then feel guilty about feeling inadequate, about not being obsessive enough. Uh, and so on. So all this stuff can, b- can build up as the personal traits have come along with the act of, a, of attention. And one wonders how they got there. How do they, you know, how did that thumbprint appear on the page? Because it was in your thumb, that's why. <laughs> was nothing wrong with the page. <laughs> so, you know, so the, the person can assume, oh, my mind is really in a bad state. Or my, well, yeah, but actually it was the act of attention that put it into, put you back into projecting the, the vipaka, the old karmic potentials onto what you're doing. And is there a way to ameliorate that? And there is. So if we uh, come back to body, nature, Mm. These orientations, natural body, 
how does the natural body, how do you, how's that experience without one aiming at anything in particular? And then, uh, you know, giving some time to listen in deeply. How does the natural body, sitting, walking, standing, how how is it experienced? It is a living system. It has intelligence. It knows how to balance, how to stand up, how to walk, how to maintain. It knows these things you can't figure out with your head your brain and you don't need to because the body does it much better and how so hard to hold something to pick it up and how so softly to hold something in order not to break it things you could never think of you can never work out it knows how to adjust the shoulder to to release it it knows how to uh, protect itself, draw muscles in. It knows how to relax when it's finished its work. It knows how to run energy along the muscles, into the sinews, into space. So the energy that's been driven into the power muscles can then release. So as you know, the body has power muscles when you use them then all the energy tightens up in them to to do that work and then when you release energy travels along the power muscles into the sinews and ligaments and then dissolves if you become warmed do some powerful exercises push-ups or anything like that you find yourself heated and the muscles all fire up and if you properly relax the warmth suffuses the entire body as the energy releases right that's an obvious and very coarse example of relaxing what the body does. And you try and think how to do that. You don't need to, and you probably couldn't do it. But you can put the body to it, and it does it. These are examples of body intelligence, and these are just ordinary, everyday examples that we take for granted. It knows orientation. It knows that, you know, if you've got an itch in your nose, that figure knows exactly where to go without you having to give it commands up a bit, left hand down, turn right, steer upwards, land carefully, it just goes there. The tissues know how to communicate to each other. The body is proprioceptive, it knows itself. Thank goodness, yeah? Imagine trying to put noodles in your mouth from just giving yourself verbal instruction. You'd probably poke it up your nose or throw it over your shoulder. But somehow the body knows there's this thing there that it can go into. So there's this kind of intelligence is all there and naturally or unfortunately I would say in our um, mechanized life we we tend to lose that we export this intelligence to our to our devices and we lose it in our bodies so export our navigation to GPS and because we're dealing with such immense you know disembodied tasks such as planning 2022, which you know, people are asking me to do. I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. You go, where's the two? Where are they? You know, the numbers in the sky and, and things like this. We're doing, and then what's the correct airline code for the flight to be taken April 22nd, 2000? 
19, you know. And yet they're meaningful, but these are really abstract tasks that we've we've become accustomed to, to manage our complex lives. You couldn't do them through your body. So it means all that, so what happens is all the intelligence goes into this abstract realm, it loses, we leave the embodied realm. Still we can figure out what we were doing April 29th, 2025, but we don't know how to walk across a room anymore <laughs> without crashing into something in a comfortable, fluid way. So you take, you know, you take us example with a person of the land, an Aboriginal person who knows their feet, they know the wind, they know the warmth, they know the soil, they can detect the scents, the fragrances, they can move around freely, fluidly, silently, uh, and without danger, and yet we'd be completely lost and, and helpless because our biology would become stupid. Now this isn't by any means the, uh, a final um, conclusion because they, it, it can reawaken. And the beauty of it is, is this is the natural body, the bodies that the Buddhas and the great disciples used as their base. And it's not just the intelligence to deal with moving through the sensory realm, because once that intelligence wakes up, it's also able to detect things such as tension, threat, agitation, uh, imbalance, disorientation. It's able to move from those to, oh, here's where I feel steady and oriented and comfortable and grounded and spacious. And unfortunately, that piece of navigation is something that the disembodied person loses track of. They're very, maybe very skillful with abstract tasks, yet to move to an easeful, light, playful, comfortable state, they don't know how to do it. And it's coming through this body, because the body knows how to do it. So when that, the body does that, then the citta sensitizes to that more comfortable, released state where these personal traits are discharged. The person is released into the body, through the body. It's called the body witness. And so in your body, your body begins to notice, oh, that one's gone, she's not there. Cessation. Mm. That sense of feeling left out or uncertain is gone. And who, who that one, who she was, with, with may have a whole personal story around it. You know, that one who feels they've got to do so much, she's gone with her personal story. Through this body. Now this body is by itself, is still natural. And um, returning it to nature.
So, to put it more in practical terms, pragmatic terms, this begins with basically awareness of one's the body as you feel it, as you experience it, as it's happening to your chitta, as your awareness senses your body, and just doing nothing about it. And then beginning to say, well, can you get more of it? That's the first thing you do. Can you get more of it? So maybe maybe feel quite warm and energized in your your upper chest or your head, and nothing much in your back or your legs. So can you get more of it? Can you sweep your attention through your entire form, embodied form, and look out for first of all sensations, which are obvious, should be fairly obvious. And then the particular vibrancy, which can be accompanying sensations, the tonality of it, whether the the tissues seem hard, unyielding, malleable, vibrant, um, dry, how it seems to you. And this may not make sense on an anatomical basis. In terms of chitta, this is the direct reality. Chitta feels... and avoid doing too much about it. First of all, just scanning it with a sense of loving acceptance as it is. Mm? Loving acceptance as it is. Imagine it's someone else. Imagine it's a creature, a wild creature that you just found in your garden shed. (laughs) Under your bed or something. How would you regard this creature, yeah, it was stiff or shivery and how would you regard it? Mm. And what kind of intention would you bring towards that? Something expansive, soothing, and just getting the, just the first subtle response to the body state as it is, and get the whole of it, specifically, particularly, uh, um, the up the the length the long sense from the head down through the back and the back is going to be less um, activated calmer front is going to be more contain more uh, residues more calming residues because this is soft tissue it, it impacts easily and very much our identity is based around the front of the body coming down the back just to get the sense of having a long long back let it be as long don't forget about the anatomy sense of a back like a long tall tree doesn't have to be rigid no tree is is directly straight mostly you get the sense of it really reaching down into the ground and lifting into the sky and forget about the anatomy of it. Just the sense, long, long back. And when we could, I'll suggest we do some standing in a little while, then we can continue that lengthening effect down into the feet. And from the soles of the feet up to the crown of the head. Length, long body. And just bring your awareness to that form, the whole form, and then perhaps sweeping sensing tones, textures, tonalities, energies along that axis.
because bodies have that. The lateral sense, across the body, from the top of one arm to the other arm, across the chest, wide. Yeah. Again, the image of a tree can be helpful, the wide branches of a tree reaching out. You don't have to push it, just bring that sense up into, say, coming up your body to the breastbone, center of your back, and then the body fanning out widthways like arms coming out across like a tree. If this image doesn't work, find your own. But that's the sense, widening, because this lateral sense gets compressed. The huddle effect, the hunch effect, and associated with uh, pressure, obligation, guilt. So widening. So widening across the top of the chest. When you get that theme, you can widen across your face, your head, your hips. So particularly when you do standing, to widen across the hip region to open the lower belly, encourage the lower belly to be more open. They say that the tendency is for the body to close, both is a certain protective sense or a privacy sense or a driven sense. So who knows why, but there it is. So if it doesn't, no harm is done by spanning across the body. And then as we get to something like a a sense of a dimension which feels unconstricted, unconstrained, unrestricted, then you'll begin to experience the breathing, the inner body breathing through that form. And it begins to infuse the form with subtle vitality, which can be experienced as parts, fibers of your body sort of coming alive or opening pulsing, uh, throbbing, or just subtly flexing. And even with that may come psychological, emotional effects. So, this is establishing this very body as a template for uh, training ourselves in careful attention. You only saw Manasikara, so it's attention, Manasikara, that's done Yoniso, going to the source, going to the origins of attention, going to how we attend, being careful about what we attend to, why we attend to things, and the manner in which we attend, both the topic and the manner, going to the source of it, Yoniso, and making the source of that appropriate, suitable attention. It's suitable because that which you're attending to responds, is, feels comfortable, uh, helps to train the actor to just relax a little bit. What you attend to in terms of your body can help to train your mode behavior.
your mode of mental karma. By and large, our mental karma is programmed by the world of doing and abstract duties and abstract goals and technological systems that are not organic. Some of them are not wholesome, but they're all, none of them are organic embodied experiences. So if our mode of attention has become trained by that, you need, we need to shift our mode of attention. Otherwise we're going to treat a body like a robot or a project or a map or a vehicle inert and you can only expect physiological damage if you act, if one acts in that way physiological abuse without even knowing it because one means well and is doing the best one can with the wrong set of tools so mindfulness then is established through that process of careful attention. So the sequence of the progress of attention is first of all attentiveness, apamada, being awake, what's going on. So liken this to you've walked into the forest, you're out of the building, you're away from the systems, what's going on? You're awake. What's happening? Where shall I go? You're just taking things in. This is upper model. You're not blundering along heedlessly. Careful attention. You're sizing things up. Getting your full kit here. <laughs> Checking your body. This is your basic home base. Checking it out. Getting to feel complete, balanced and full. When it does so, then we can say, now we have something which we can, where our attention can move into sati, holding. Sati likened to like a loop, a loop of attention that you place around your prescribed object, something that collects around it. The image is of someone holding a bird. The Buddha likened it to holding a quail. You know, like a little bird. He said, if you grip it too tight, you kill it. If you grip it too loose, it flies away. So the careful attention to a living form, like a bird. So, and then as you hold, as your masati forms around this embodied experience, then you're going to touch into the subtle energy systems, which appreciate that kind of attention. And you carefully, breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out. Just feeling that rhythm, that flow, just like you've got a finger on a pulse. Just feeling that flow. Letting the pulse steady by the act of careful attention. Sustaining, letting the pulse steady. Hmm? Be complete. See if you can read that pulse. Mm, this is calming. This is steady. This is where the, the fluttering begins. Or the sliding away begins. Or the turbulence begins. Just 
calm, steady, steady, steady. One trains oneself, soothing, soothing, steadying the bodily formation, the body energy, the subtle forming of the body. You're soothing it, steadying it. With that, not with any pressure, but just with a sense of one's deep concern and caringness, intentionality, just like a healer placing a hand, radiating the quality of soothing, steadying, giving it time to receive that message. And it'll only receive that message when you directly access that fine material energetic medium. And you can only access that fine material energetic medium through accessing this body respectfully so its energetic system can brighten up. Okay.